Stand by. Hello and welcome to the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. And now your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Libricube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. Today, within Libricube, I should specify, is Book Bow Wednesday. Yay, books. My, my one true love. I can say that because the missus does not listen to Book Bowl Wednesday episodes, and if anyone tells her, I will find out who did it and hunt you down like the dirty dog you are. Uh, yes. You, uh, you may know, and if you listened to my 100th episode, The Dreamosphere, that, uh, I am actually recording this on my week off. Uh, I planned on taking the week off of podcast. However, I could not resist with this book Wednesday because it is, you guessed it, if you're following along, Dark Tower, book number seven, The Dark Tower by Mr. Stephen King. We made it, folks. We did it. We're here. We're at the end. Uh, at the top of every show, I like to say that there will be spoilers. Definitely this time. So uh, my advice, I guess, is sort of uh, could, could be taken in two ways as far as spoilers. Um, what I hope you do, and what I hope you did, is have read these books already or read them along with me. Uh, that is my greatest hope. However, the possibility exists that you're just listening to this because um, even though you do not plan to read these books, even though I really wish you would. That possibility does exist. Sometimes I will watch or listen to things that I know are going to spoil things uh, if I know I will never see them. For example, uh, I think the prime example is the podcast uh, How Did This Get Made, in which they take movies and talk about them. Usually, as you can imagine from the title, Bad movies. Bad movies is in how did this movie even get made? Uh, most recent one was uh, Spice World. So, uh, I've never seen Spice World. I will never see Spice World. Yet, I watched, uh, sorry, listened to the podcast about it because I didn't care if it was spoiled for me or not. Maybe that's your case with this. Alright? Uh, the other thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is that perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Yay, you, for doing that. And I love you, those of you who do it. Also, what is a great help to podcasts in general, and mine in particular, since I am the one asking uh, you to do this is that if you have iTunes and listen to this on the iTunes, if you were to subscribe, rate, and comment, uh, that's what helps spread these babies around like a sexually transmitted disease of some sort. Uh, baby. I think, uh, as far as podcast business, that is all I need to cover. Let is goddamn well hop right in to um, one of, once I finish this series, I realize this is 
easily for me to put in my sort of top five of fantasy series of all time. That good. Um, unprofessional of me as it is to do so, I will rate it right off the bat. Five out of five. In fact, I think I have said in previous podcasts that uh, all these books in this series get five out of five, so that's no surprise, really. Yeah, let's jump right in. I think the possibility exists that I won't be able to finish this in one day, which is kind of not a big deal this week, just because I only plan on doing this book Bo Wednesday and a TV Tuesday episode, just because I want to get them out of my brain before other things fill it up. Yeah? Does that make sense? I think it does. One of my rare instances of sense-making, I believe, there. Uh, okay, so let's hop right in. Uh, hop right in by saying that I don't do much in the way of backtracking uh, into previous books when I do these podcasts. So, uh, A, read them, as I mentioned. I hope you do. But if you don't, uh, skip back and listen to the last six book Wednesdays, and that would get you all caught up anyway. Uh, that would be nice of you to do. Maybe uh, listen to them back to back to back to back to back. It's back? Did I do enough backs there? I don't know. And I don't care. Dark Tower, Book 7. The Dark Tower. Ah, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we have been building towards. <laughs> this was a long book, so I'm just reading my first note. And I'm like, man, that happened in this book? That was so long ago. Okay, uh, the book starts off where the last book ended. Hey, little cliffhanger-y, these books, which, uh, which I enjoy. I enjoy if you have the next book <laughs> at hand. If, if I had been reading this as these books came out, which uh, I did not, I would have been pissed off, because <laughs> I would have had to wait, in some cases, I think, years between books. So uh, this one starts off with Callahan, Father Callahan and Jake, uh, entering the Dixie Pig. Uh, if you recall, the Dixie Pig is the restaurant slash um, headquarters of very, very bad men. Uh, the Low Men, for example, emissaries of the, uh, the Crimson King, the sort of uber bad guy of this series. Uh, and they have sort of no choice but to go in and try to rescue Susanna, who is goddamn pregnant and about to pop out a baby that is uh, sort of demon spawny slash um, Roland's illegitimate... Uh, no, that's probably not the right word. Roland's turkey baster demon spawn. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember now, because that was the name of the episode. Turkey baster demon spawn. Jake and Callahan sort of realize that the possibility of one or both of them dying is very, very large, so they're sort of resigned to their fate. Oh, uh, also with them, of course, is Oi! 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 Oi, the Billy Bumbler, which is sort of a cross between a dog and a raccoon uh, that can kind of talk, and it's super, super cute and very smart. Uh, Father Callahan has within his possession that, this will just go, magical turtle figurine, that fact, the fact that Susanna dropped it at the door and they found it, is sort of really the only reason that they did not immediately die, because it sort of uh, enthralls people. Uh, once you see it, um, 
thoughts of destruction sort of leave your brain and you want to uh, a, a sort of combination of possess it and help who is ever holding it. The, the helping part is how it starts and then it sort of seems that the longer it is being held, the more you, the person wants to possess it, which uh, that itself can get dangerous. So he holds the low men. There's Tahin there. Tahin are sort of, I don't think they technically are, but they look like half human, half animal sort of hybrids. And then, worst of all, vampires. Ooh. Now there's different types and levels of vampires in this series. The type three vampires are sort of, uh, they are enthralled by this thing. However, the type ones, the sort of top of the top vampires, um, does not even phase that type of vampire. So they're sort of the main danger here. While Father Callahan is holding up this turtle and has them enthralled, uh, Jake and Oi slip by into the kitchen of this restaurant. They sort of realize at this point that Father Callahan is pretty much done for. There's no way he's going to get out of this because once the Type 1 vampires sort of rouse and realize what's going on, that everyone, with the exception of them, is sort of enthralled by this figurine, they are not too happy. And sad to say, first spoiler, they kill Father Callahan. Man, I was uh, I was upset. I was uh, that was sad. He sort of goes out in a blaze of glory, uh, and then does that maneuver that you can that you do in sort of vampire and zombie worlds where you don't want to turn into one of them. So Pulse turns the gun on himself and blows his blows his head away. Sadness. So uh, Jake and Oi slip by into the kitchen and then sort of make their way down, down, down. This is not a typical kitchen basement by any means. It's sort of like a huge complex filled with, you know, filled with many, many wonders. Uh, doors opening onto different times, different places. Crazy shit like that. So he's working his way there. Uh, Susanna, who is about to pop this baby, baby, who I have mentioned in uh, previous episodes as a sort of multiple personality. One of her personalities, Mia, Mia, daughter of none, is the one who sort of wants to have this baby the most. Sort of, sort of the mother, I guess you could look at. Uh, actually, you can look at because within this crazy fortress, underground fortress, yeah, that's a good way to look at it, uh, there is a machine that somehow, through sort of, I think, the combination of technology and magic, which is one of the things I love of this series, is is whenever magic and technology get combined, fucking cool shit goes down. For example, somehow the split personality of Mia was physically split from Susanna, so when they were together, they weren't um, showing their pregnancy, and Susanna had legs, as she normally does not have legs, because they were cut off in an accident quote-unquote accident. Hmm. Once they were split, Susanna went back to her old uh, self, her legless self, and then Mia sort of came forth super huge and about to pop. The baby uh, was born, as happens. Hmm. Uh, some things right off the bat that sort of indicate that this baby is perhaps not uh, 100% normal or human is that it already has all its teeth. 
So that's sort of step one. But almost, almost immediately, it sort of melds, festers, mutates into like a, a giant spider baby hybrid thing. And then eats Mia. Yes, eats its mother that just gave birth to it. What the fuck? This is bad, <laughs> I guess, because you know he's up to no good. However, it gives Susanna the chance to uh, escape. She grabs one of the Tahin's guns. She also makes the attempt to kill this baby uh, and ends up shooting one of its spider legs off, which, uh, which never heals. Hmm, interesting. So needless to say, this baby creature thing is not too happy with his sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of mother, Susanna. Interesting. I don't, I think we learn at this point, or the baby is given the name at this point, of Mordred. That's not Mordred, it's Mordred, as in, um, from sort of Arthurian legends. So, uh, Susanna has escaped from this room, this birthing room, however, doesn't really know where to go to, to sort of fully escape and, uh, be reunited. So she almost just kind of sits by a door waiting for someone to come. Because I don't think she can get from where she is back to the Dixie Pig. Because some of these doors in this massive complex are only one way. So this whole time Jake is, is searching for her and is being followed by some of the some of the people from the restaurant who weren't enthralled. One cool part is he steps into a mind trap. Ah, mind trap. Cool because I think I seem to recall playing um, Baldur's Gate and occasionally triggering a mind trap. In this case, uh, it was cool because it was uh, again sort of seemed to be that mixture of uh, technology and magic in that this device, we'll call it, would read sort of your greatest fear from your brain. So cool, right off the bat. And then make it a, for all intents and purposes, a reality. So uh, <laughs> Jake was scared of dinosaurs, which was kind of weird. So then dinosaurs uh, tried to stop him at this point. Now, it's one of those things where you could try to tell yourself that it's not actually real, which is what he did. However, they can still kill you. It, it, and it wouldn't be, say, if a dinosaur bit your head off, it would be that a dinosaur bit your head off. It would be that, say, you had a stroke or a heart attack that killed you. What he does to get through this section is switch bodies with Oi! Oi, the Billy Bumbler. Because Oi is not affected by these visions, I guess we could call them. A, that was really cool, but it never... I thought maybe they were doing it here so they could use that sort of device later on somewhere in the story, but that was the only time they ever did it. So I thought that was kind of weird. So uh, eventually Oi, or Oi and Jake reach the door that uh, Susanna is waiting behind. She got the password from a robot. Again, lots of robots. Robots. Uh, so he passes through. Then, lastly, uh, I haven't even mentioned <laughs> the main character, Roland, yet. He and Eddie were... Where were they at the time? I can't really remember where they were. Anyways, this is where the... This works out good, actually. This is where 
the four, five, I guess if you include uh, Oi, are reunited at this door in this complex. This complex with doors to multiple wares and wens. So uh, that's a good spot to stop. And also, I'm at work, which makes it a spot I have to stop. Hmm, interesting. Folks, I have a feeling I might not finish this on the drive home. So uh, I kind of thought that might happen. This might end up being a two-day episode. Ooh, interesting. Uh, I will say, though, love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. Back. We are back. Back in action. Hello again. That was eight hours of work. There's no denying it. It just happened. <sighs> Let's jump right back in. No preamble whatsoever. What I'm saying right now is a preamble, I guess. So technically, I am a liar. Where do we leave off? The Quartet have been reunited. Reunited? And it feels so good. I was happy. I will say, when uh, Roland and Eddie and Susanna and Jake and Uwe were together again, it warmed my cockles. Where are they off to now, you might ask. That's what I asked. Well, what they have to do now, on their journey to the Dark Tower, is go to a place. (laughs) Can I be more vague? Probably couldn't. Go to a place in which, uh, let me see if I could just boil it down nice and easy, a place where people with um, psychic powers, that's kind of, uh, I think, dumbing it down a little bit, it's more technical than that, but a place where people with psychic powers are using said powers to uh, eat away, slowly crumble chip away, if you will, at the beams. The beams, as we've, I believe, discussed before, we must have touched on the beams. The beams that are basically radiating out from the tower. Now, these are not actual beams in the sense of, like, oh, look, there's a beam. Let's chip away at it. No, they're sort of, they're not metaphorical because they exist, but they're not something that can be seen or or touched. They are the beams that hold up um, reality. What? I love shit like that. Basically, reality as we know it uh, in this universe, in all alternate universes, is being held up by these beams. There is only one remaining. Or is it two? No, two remaining. No, one? Oh, shit. I don't remember if it's one or two remaining. Because it's, uh, it's sort of like dark tower in the circle, and then beams radiating out from it, uh, 12 beams total, all of them had been destroyed, with the exception of the one that uh, Roland and his content are traveling along, as well as I believe the one on the other side was still intact as well. They were not doing well. They were sort of getting near the point where even if these psychic people stopped their crumbling of them, they would have fallen regardless. Uh, And if that happened, it basically meant all of existence would uh, cease existing. 
So, <laughs> as far as missions, quests within uh, fantasy novels, this is probably the greatest in the sense of if they do not follow through and complete their quest, <laughs> all of existence will cease to exist. Yeah, so they better goddamn well do it. Oh, just something I forgot to mention. Right before they traveled through the doorway that led them to where these uh, breakers, is what they're called, these psychic people called breakers, right before they went through, or sorry, right after, I guess, they went through the door, um, Baby Mordred, who we spoke of this morning, uh, was following them, because it's sort of... Uh, you could probably go as far as to say is it's written in his DNA that he is was born, was created in order to stop Roland from his quest. So that's not good. Uh, right before he went through, uh, Mordred, baby Mordred went through, he, this, this blew my mind, he uh, came across Randall Flagg. Randall Flagg, who you may remember from a little uh, Stephen King novel called The Stand. Baddest of bad men, who's been sort of one of, I guess you could say, uh, Roland's nemesis nemesises, uh, along his many, many years. So Randall Flagg exists in many universes and is incredibly old, has powers sort of unknown. If you did read The Stand, you know he is a fucking badass among badasses. Probably, uh, actually, now that I bring him up, I think I remember seeing a list once. It was like a, uh, a college basketball bracket where people voted on who was, like, the most badass from literature, and I think he may have won. I don't really remember. Let's say he did, just to emphasize my point on how badass he is. Now, him and uh, Mordred, Mordred, you can assume, are on the same side. Can you not? Yeah, you would assume that. However, big however here, Mordred ate him. One of my longest pauses for drama, right there. My God. <laughs> this baby slash spider creature thing ate Randall Flagg, who has been around for centuries, stirring up trouble, and he ate him. Yeah, just, there you go. Something uh, cool before he ate him, just to sort of uh, show how evil he is, he sort of used uh, mind control to make Randall Flagg uh, pluck out his own eyeballs. Uh-huh. Very graphic, that scene, I will tell you. Pluck out his old eyeballs and then feed them to uh, baby Mordred. Now, uh, one of Mordred's powers is that when he eats someone, he gains their knowledge. So that right there. Cool. Uh, so now he has the, the knowledge, if not the... He has... Yeah, I think a way to look at it is he has all the knowledge that was in Randall Flagg's noggin, However, uh, may not necessarily understand what it all means, because he's just a baby. That's, that's something they kind of em emphasize, is that despite being super, super evil and powerful, he is, you know, a couple of days old, so not, uh, not so big in as far as experience goes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the catet makes its way to where the breakers are in prison and meets up with people who are going to help uh, either rescue or destroy them. Because the thing about the Breakers, something you have to know, is that 
they are not necessarily doing this of their own free will. They have been captured by the emissaries of the Crimson King. The Crimson King, who is, I guess you would say, the uber bad guy of this series, the one who is behind every little thing as far as trying to bring about the destruction of all existence. Yeah, that guy, who we will meet up with, don't you worry. So there are three people who uh, Roland and the group, the Catat, meet up with in order to help them uh, complete this not easily done task. Those people are, I wrote them down, uh, with names no less, because I knew that the dreaded name curse that the gypsy cursed me with um, would not allow me to remember their names. So, there you go. Planning ahead. Love, Lee. Their names are, first, uh, Ted <laughs> Brodigan. Oh, man. I can kind of not read my writing. Ted Brodigan. He was, this is kind of cool, from... Um, as you know, the interconnectedness of Stephen King's novels and the Dark Tower series is pretty goddamn crazy. So Ted Brodigan is from his book, uh, actually I think it might have been a short story or a collection of short stories. Let's just say his book, Hearts in Atlantis, which was made into a movie starring Mr. Sir Anthony Hopkins. So uh, I like that because now whenever uh, Ted Brodigan appeared within the Dark Tower series. I always kind of pictured him as looking like Sir Anthony Hopkins, so that made it kind of funny for me. And you, I hope, if you read along. Next, we meet Dinky Earnshaw. <laughs> uh, I like that name. Dinky Earnshaw. He is another person from Stephen King novels. Uh, he was in a novel called Everything's Eventual. Everything's Eventual I believe I read, but I'm not 100% sure. Of the three people, he sort of has the smallest of the roles in the, in the overthrowing of the Breakers and their captors, because it's uh, th this whole area is sort of set up like a prison, sort of Shawshank-like, huh? huh? also by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And lastly, this one's cool, meet up with Shimi. Shimi, you may recall... Uh, is someone from Roland's past. Roland, as a, a teenage boy, when he met his first love. Uh, we talked about uh, that very, very briefly in a book Wednesday. That was from... Oh, shit. Which book was that from? Book three? Book three or four? Anyways, one of the books in the series, I brought it back to the Libra Cube and kind of did not touch on the actual story of... Roland's past sort of uh, left that up to you because it didn't exactly have a huge amount to do with the story of the Dark Tower other than getting to know Roland and why he is who he is, why he is a gunslinger, why he is uh, the man he is today. So uh, I, I just sort of vaguely touched on it. But Shimi was part of that story, so uh, it was fun to see him, him back in action. Uh, also kind of funny because, uh, if you don't know, Roland is kind of through strange events and because time is wonky in these, uh, time is uh, broken is, is kind of a way you can look at it. He is basically like thousands of years old, just through, let's just say, circumstances. And leave it at that because I know I'm going to run out of time, 
this, I can tell you right now, is going to be a two-part episode. Ooh. Uh, that is interesting just because this is the first time I've ever had a two-part episode, so I like it. So it's these three newcomers, plus the uh, four, five, counting Oi, who uh, make a plan in order to break out the uh, <laughs> break out the breakers uh, and stop them from breaking the beams that will bring about the destruction of everything. Maybe. Uh, let's just touch a little bit on that uh, battle, that escape. I've uh, got a few notes here. One of the reasons that I would love, love, love for you to read along with me is because um, my few measly notes will do absolutely zero well, okay, let's say absolutely one justice to um, the amazing scenes that took place. However, uh, I'll just throw a few little tidbits out. Uh, first of all, Susanna, who, as we know, has no legs. She finds within a stockpile that the uh, that Ted, Dinky, and Sheeny had sort of built up with the purposes of supplying Roland with, uh, I guess you could say, munitions for this breakout, because they knew, hey, they're psychic. They are psychic. I did mention that. Uh, they knew that they were going to come along and uh, figured, hey, I don't want to destroy all of existence, so let's uh, help these guys. Let's get these guys to help us stop it. So uh, Susanna comes across a uh, what she refers to as her trike. Sounds kind of like a uh, four by four not a four-wheeler, because it has three wheels. You know those things, it's got three wheels, you sit on it, drives around, all-terrain vehicle of some sort. There's a name for it, but I cannot remember what it is. Those things are dangerous, I think. I always hear that they tip often. Um, just on that note, for no reason, be careful with those things. Uh, the cool thing about this is it's sort of like uh, armied up in that it's got like... Uh, from the sounds of it, it's got, like, Gatling guns bolted to the side of it. She also uh, gets a laser. Yeah. She's sort of in charge of uh, the distraction. That's why they armor up so well. So on one side of this prison compound, she will be in charge of distracting people and basically just blowing shit up while the others come in from the other side. Part of their plan involved setting fire to key locations. This... Uh, is a good idea in itself. However, what they did not realize is that once these fires were started, robot fire trucks would be sort of uh, unleashed, <laughs> is a way you can look at it. Robot fire trucks that even the owners of the prison did not know existed, because uh, I guess this prison is like thousands of years old from the old ones. So these fire trucks came barreling out of wherever they were and sort of ran down a bunch of the prison guards, so I like that, and wrote it down. The fact that ancient robot fire trucks helped in saving the universe. Ah, uh, ancient robot fire trucks saving the universe. That potential potential title for the for the podcast episode. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, one of Dinky Earnshaw's uh, powers, because not all these guys are just psychic. For example, Shimi has the ability to uh, teleport. Again, it's sort of a little more complicated than the teleporting, but 
basically that's it. So Dakey Earnshaw has the ability to speak into other people's minds, so he's the one who sort of gets the breakers to <laughs> break away from the prison guards and escape by kind of yelling in their minds. Lastly, Ted Brodigan has the ability to do what he calls a mind spear. He doesn't like doing it. I think he may have used it in uh, Hearts in Atlantis. It's basically like he'll throw, uh, <laughs> how do you explain, throw, throw his anger, throw just a, a mind psychic blast uh, into a person which will cause their brains to explode. <laughs> wow. So uh, while this is happening, Jake and Eddie and Roland and Oi are waiting to ambush the prison guards because they've planned it out so that Dinky told the breakers to leave via this route. So they then knew that the prison guards would follow them to try to bring them back. Uh, so along this route they waited, ambushed them, and because uh, they are gunslingers and they sling their guns like nobody's business, it was just a massacre over in, in seconds. They can throw lead like nobody's business. The, the, the sort of, uh, I guess, yeah, you would call him the warden of this, this prison, presumed dead uh, in this ambush, was actually not dead. He had a gun at his side, and in his last sort of dying breath, <sighs> in his last dying breath, he shot Eddie in the head. Eddie did not die immediately. Uh, he got to say his goodbyes, however, did perish. Very, very sad. I may have shed a tear. Shut up! It was sad. I'm seven books into a series, and when one of the main characters die, I am going to be sad, okay? Leave me alone. Folks, this is a two-parter, because that is not all. We're not even... That was half of my notes. So, we'll save the other half for tomorrow. Hmm. Should I say my... Uh, what I say at the end of every show? I feel weird not saying it. Ah, what the hell. It's nice... To be nice, to the nice, something else I should say is I need some sort of, um, because I've never done a two-parter, I need some sort of sound or music to go in between. Hmm. Jordan, think of that. Mental note to yourself. Uh, okay, whatever. There you go. Mental notes complete. Episode complete. Book not complete. We will be back tomorrow. Nice to be nice to the nice. Transition. Hello again, again. Uh, welcome to the Liver Cube and other things. <laughs> I would feel too weird not to say it uh, on my drive into work, despite this being a two-part episode. Oh, baby, a first. Uh, I think since through the magic of editing. Um, it's going to be seconds since I last uh, started, since I finished talking, from your point of view. To me, it is a long time. Um, one sleep, in fact. Um, one moon, if you are um, native. Yes. <laughs> what? Huh. So let's, uh, how about we, feet first even, jump right back in to a little Dark Tower action... We left off. Where did we leave off? See, you um, have no problem remembering where we left off because it's been seconds. Me, however, 
It's been many, many hours. Um, oh, the death of Eddie. Yes. A little cliffhangery there for you. In those several seconds that you had to wait to hear me continue. What? No. That's not how cliffhangers work. So, uh, Susanna decides, or sort of they decide as a group, that she's going to stay behind and bury Eddie and sort of take care of things on that end. Uh, in the meantime, Shimi, who I mentioned um, yesterday, huh, was a teleporter, is going to teleport uh, Jake, Roland, and Oi to 1999, the year that is, uh, as well as New England, the place. And uh, I should be maybe more specific because it is uh, the New England of, of this universe. When I say this universe, I mean literally this universe that we are living in right now that I am speaking these words in. Because there are many alternate universes. However, uh, what they refer to in the series as the Keystone universe is this one. Keystone because it contains the rose. Because the rose contains, within its petals, stars and suns and possibly billions upon trillions upon infinite um, other universes. Crazy shit. All within a rose and its glowing petals. Also, very, very important within this universe is Stephen King. What? How? Uh, I know we've touched on this before, but within this universe that I'm speaking, still still that one, uh, exists Stephen King. Stephen King who wrote books. Stephen King who is even writing the Dark Tower series. What? That is mind-blowing. It's too early to blow your mind. Well, I don't know when you're listening to this, but for me, it's not even 8 o'clock yet, and I, I don't think I should be blowing my mind this early in the day. They... Jake, Roland, and Noy head to 1999 New England to save Stephen King. Uh, they know through means that he is in grave peril, and if he dies, it's, it's as if the rose was destroyed, it's as if one of the beams were to break, or is it rather, if he dies, the beam would break? Sort of a little chicken and the egg thing there, I think. So, uh, sort of imperative that they save him. He, uh, Stephen King, actually was, I believe, in a car accident, or hit by a driver? I think that actually happened in real life. And that what that is what was going to um, kill him. However, because Roland and Jake and Oi were there to intervene, rather than this uh, this driver hit him straight on, Jake, ah, Jake, Jake hopped in between the van and Stephen King, and although it did not keep him from getting hurt a little bit, uh, kept him from uh, dying outright, and thus <laughs> ending all of existence. So, good for you, Jake. Uh, <laughs> this sacrifice, and I do say sacrifice because he was then killed, Friggin' dropping like flies here, and it was sad, especially because he's a kid, and he's like Roland's 
It's basically Roland Son, really. They, they they say to each other, father and son. They're not, you know, technically. However, just because of how close their relationship is, they feel that they are father and son. So when he died, it was one of the saddest things I remember in a book, especially because when you are seven books into a series and two main characters die back to back, one of them kind of shocks you and saddens you, and then another one comes along not too long after. It's like a blow, a blow to the heart. <sighs> Let's take a moment there. Um, after this event, just some uh, little little cool note, I guess you could say, is um, if you were, recall, I mentioned how Roland was developing arthritis. Uh, it turns out it wasn't actually arthritis. It was more sort of psychic, time-traveling, sympathy pains. <laughs> because he was feeling the injuries that Stephen King was going to receive in this accident. Uh, and the closer he got to the accident, the more painful the feelings uh, would get. Uh, that, that's an awesome thought, and blows my mind that anyone would come up with psychic, time-traveling, sympathy pains... Uh, <laughs> and then just sort of top it off, once the accident happened, uh, Roland no longer had the pains because they had been transferred to Stephen King. Cool beans. Uh, Roland then makes his way to the Rose, let's just say. So I just talked talk of the Rose. They had visited the Rose in its vacant lot in, I guess it was the 70s or was it the 80s? Uh, in the last episode, we talked how they had purchased the vacant lot, and in the sort of intervening years, they had built a building really around the roads. The uh, Tet Corporation is what it's called. So because um, they went back to the 70s and Eddie was from the 80s, they gave some like uh, like stock advice to people who were sort of on our end in this universe going to protect the roads. So this massive building and corporation was built around it, and Roland, before he heads back to Susanna with the bad news of Jake's death, uh, has to pop in and see what's going on, basically, because he's sort of the boss man of the whole thing, really, when you think about it. Uh, when he visits the uh, the corporation, the tech corporation, it's all sort of uh, descendants of people he had met or Eddie had met that he had arranged to sort of build this company. This company sort of exists as a yin to the yang of the evil company created by the Crimson King, the evil company called uh, North Central Positronics. So... Um, they felt they needed something similar to sort of intercede and try to stop this company from becoming totally evil. <clears throat> so uh, eventually, Roland heads back to Susanna, and they have to continue on their journey to the Dark Tower, because it's like a sickness that Roland must continue no matter what. Susanna, reluctantly, I would say, decides to come along with him She's come this far. There's no kind of going back now. Reached that uh, that point where you kind of have to go on. Their first uh, part of this travel is 
I wrote down a bit of the first um, section of them traveling together, just the three of them, because Oi's still there. Oi uh, probably would have just stayed at Jake's grave and withered away and died, but sort of Jake's last words to him were, you have to go on and protect Roland. So that was sad, too, actually. Uh, so the three of them head on. The first section uh, I really liked of this part of the journey because it took place in... It was like an underground complex still. Was it the same one? I think it... Anyways, like an underground complex cave tunnel system, uh, which very, very, very much reminded me of a dungeon crawler. So it was like, I could picture this section of this novel as a video game quite, quite easily, and uh, for that reason, I really liked it. Uh, it strongly reminded me of other dungeony travails and travels in other books. Uh, one part in particular was really cool. Uh, there were lights above in these tunnels, because it's not tunnels in the sense of um, natural rock, it's tunnels and corridors. I suppose you could look at them more as corridors than tunnels, because they are man-made and from what will be our future, what is Roland's past, confusing, yes, and the lights slowly start going out. Then they start hearing noises behind them. Noises get louder and louder and louder, until finally they realize they're being followed by not many things, but one giant thing. They can hear it breathing. Uh, the very act of this creature's breath, when it inhales, it, it almost pulls them backwards towards it. Its breaths are so large. Turns out being a giant uh, mutated worm centipede creature with, with like multiple eyes and uh, the only thing stopping it from coming and, and killing them immediately is the light. And because the lights are going out, it's coming faster and faster and closer and closer. They uh, they figure out a way to uh, light the bones on fire that are scattered about. Uh, there are bones everywhere because this creature has killed again and again and again. It's coming closer and closer, and uh, they make their way out of the tunnel and survive. Spoiler alert. Is it really a spoiler alert? Like, if, if they had just died in the tunnel there and the, the book was over, that would have been pretty bad. Uh, da, da, da. So next comes a section where sort of a, a relentless, a relentless cold wasteland that they have to travel through. And it's, I think it's like weeks of travel, just mind-numbingly cold. And uh, because their clothes are in tatters, there's a whole section where... They kill a bunch of deer and make clothes, which was kind of weird how detailed it got there, I thought, into the making of deer clothes, and I don't know, seemed weird to me. Uh, eventually, they come to a street. What? Sort of in the middle of nowhere, uh, they come to a street. The street is called Odds Lane, and living on the street is the man by the name of Joe Collins. Uh, this street is the beginning of a road that leads directly to the Dark Tower. Holy shit. Roland is just sort of blown away. He's in the home stretch. He's as close as he's ever been to the Dark Tower that he's been traveling to all his life. Wow. 
Uh, I should mention that Joe Collins, um, who lives on this street, one of the last, sorry, the last remaining person on this, it almost sounds like a, like a little teeny town. He's the last survivor. And uh, it turns out, this, this part blew my mind too, he is, how do I say this? Did you read the book or see the movie It by Mr. Stephen King? It starring, not starring, but It with the creature, the bad guy, Pennywise the Clown. Did you see that? Huh? This Joe Collins, a.k.a. It, a.k.a. Pennywise the Clown, uh, is living alone and feeding off the emotions of others as they pass by. In fact, he has someone in his basement that he's sort of keeping as a as a cow for his emotions. Uh, I just want to specify here that it's uh, it's <laughs> it is not technically the same um, creature. Let's call it as existed in the book. Um, it <laughs> confusing. Jeez. It's just, uh, it's not technically the exact same creature. It is the same life form, but it's not the same one. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? Let's, uh, you know, what I thought I would do when reading it is just pretend it, it is the exact same creature, because that's cooler to me. So, uh, this, uh, this creature poses as Joe Collins, who was a standing-up comedian, as Mr. Jimmy Pardo would say, uh, and causes... Roland and uh, to a lesser degree Susanna just to laugh and laugh and laugh to the point where Roland um, is probably if he keeps laughing is going to have a stroke or something and uh, is feeding off their emotions. Okay, since we're nearly at work, let's see if I can leave a little cliffhanger. They um, do destroy this creature. Duh, even. Again, if it had have ended right there, the whole the whole quest to the Dark Tower, it would have been odd. Now, uh, the cliffhanger will be, who do they find in the basement that this Pennywise the Clown-related creature was uh, keeping as a sort of dairy cow to feed off his emotions? Oh, question mark. Oh, this cliff is very steep. Uh-oh. I fell off it, and now I'm hanging there. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to go in and do eight hours of work. And I will meet you back here. Because I love you, dairies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back, back in action. Hello again, again. Ah, first time I've ever said that. Hello again, again. Because this is a goddamn long episode, is it not? But come the hell or high water or dark tower, we're gonna get her done on this drive home. Yes, siree, Bobby, we will. That is the liberal cube guarantee. Yes. Okay, so, where did I leave off this morning? Um, oh yeah, uh, Pennywise the Clown, sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. So, 
Uh, oh yeah, I remember. I teased. Ah, a tease doesn't really make sense if I'm, from your point of view, immediately going to give away who they found in the basement of Pennywise the Clown's bungalow. However, I did it anyways. Who they found was a Mr. Patrick Danville. Patrick Danville, you may know, from the Stephen King novel of friggin' course. Uh, yeah, we're kind of going along with that interconnectedness theme here. Uh, the Stephen King novel Insomnia, which I did read, but I don't really remember what it was about. So uh, I kind of feel it would be good to, and maybe one exists out there, develop a list where you could read these books, and then at a certain point in, an, say, this book, The Dark Tower, it would stop and say, okay, um, now that you have come to Patrick Danival's part in the story, stop and read Insomnia by Stephen King. That'd be, that'd be a cool list. I think, maybe, because I, uh, I know eventually in my lifetime I will read these novels again. Maybe I will try to do something like that. Hmm. Many years from now. Interesting thought. Jordan, make a, make a mental note for many years down the road to do just that. Patrick Danville has the ability to draw incredibly realistically. And by that I mean so realistically that if he were to draw you, uh, it would sort of, in essence, capture your very soul. <laughs> uh, that was evil, what I just did there. However, he is probably as far from evil as you can get. So say uh, a perfect example of this, this power he has is that for the last couple of weeks, maybe months since um, Eddie had died, and they had uh, released the breakers from their prison, Susanna had on her cheek, like, a boil. Something uh, I didn't get into because it didn't much matter, I guess, was that uh, the area in which the breakers were kept was sort of... Uh, I don't think radioactive is technically the right word, but you can use that word and it would be close enough. So she had this sort of festering, boily type thing on her cheek. Uh, then Patrick drew her and used an eraser, <laughs> drew her and used an eraser to uh, erase the boil from his drawing, which then, of course, because he is such a realistic drawer, uh, the, the boil disappeared from her face. E-mazing. Not even amazing. E-mazing. We skip right to the E there. This brings about another sort of sad turn. Uh, Roland and his cotet has sort of slowly fell apart, really, is, is one way you can look at it. So, uh, Patrick here uses his drawing ability to draw a door to an alternate reality New York City. Susanna is given the, the choice to continue on with Roland to the Dark Tower. She knows if she does this that the odds of her dying are huge because Roland sort of started this quest alone and uh, they both believe that he will finish it alone. So although he wants her to come along, he leaves the decision up to her. Uh, kind of surprised from a story point of view that she did decide to travel to this alternate New York. 
So good for her. She made it out alive. A uh, cool thing about having alternate realities, uh, millions and trillions and gazillions and brazilians of possibilities existing, is that she went through to an alternate New York in which Roland, which Roland, in which Eddie and Jake were alive and well. Uh, they were uh, somehow, I don't know how that part worked out. They were brothers. They met her. They knew through sort of dreams of her, not actually her per se, but just that she would be sort of coming along to meet them. And uh, we can assume they lived happily ever after, because from that point on, we never uh, hear of them again, really. So, good, happy ending there. Huh? Huh? Roland, however, must continue on. He must. Uh, next, it is just Roland and Patrick continuing on. Uh, Mordred, of course, in pursuit, as usual. He came upon um, Pennywise the Clowns. I like just calling him that. It's not technically who or what he was, but I'm going to say it because it's kind of close. Pennywise the Clowns' cabin, and because he needs meat to survive, he ate um, Pennywise's mule, his mule that... Uh, was pretty sickly and kind of festery, uh, which made him sick. Sick to the point of uh, basic death, uh, imminent death, uh, and sort of pushed him further and further into uh, attacking, uh, into attacking Roland, because he knew that soon he would be dead, so uh, it's sort of ingrained in his DNA that he wanted to try uh, at the very least, try to kill him before he himself died. So, uh, Roland, who had been up and awake for days on end, finally fell asleep. Tiredness, even. So, that's when Mordred made his move and jumped in his spider form, which was now uh, much more human-sized because he had been eating and eating and eating along the way. Seconds perhaps milliseconds away from death, who but trusty Oi jumps between uh, Mordred and Roland and saves the day. Hmm. Not, however, without sacrificing his own life. <laughs> so that was the last of them. It's, uh, that was the last of the ones who, who sort of have been with Roland through most of this journey. He started it alone, and now, with the exception of Patrick... Uh, is, is finishing it alone. They come at last after uh, burying Oi tears over his grave. Come at last to the Dark Tower. My god. It's been a long time. Even for, for me reading it, it, it seems like it's been a long time. So, so good on Stephen King for making me feel like, Jesus Christ, that took a, that took a long time. Roland's been through a friggin' a shit ton of well, shit, uh, to get here, and that f- sort of final sense of accomplishment. However, the Crimson King, who uh, all this time has been trapped and gone mad, uh, is sort of on a balcony on the uh, within the Dark Tower and will not let Roland get any closer than, than sort of uh, the sight line that he has achieved from a, from a hilltop looking down onto the Dark Tower, the Dark Tower that is surrounded by roses, roses that's all within them 
have petals that glow with the with the brightness of suns because perhaps within each is a universe or a collection of universes in the thousands of roses strewn in his path that he needs to get to um, in order to reach the door of the Dark Tower. Uh, I'm excited just talking about it, as you can perhaps tell. I hope to God you friggin' read these things, man. Experience it for yourself. The Crimson King is not without his ways to stop Roland. He has, from the sounds of it, basically a crate of uh, sneeches. We talked in the uh, in the book, in the podcast, uh, Wolves of the Kala, that uh, things like sneeches and lightsabers actually exist in this world because North Central Positronics had sort of taken them and turn them into weapons. So uh, the Crimson King would just repeatedly throw these into the air, sometimes uh, six, seven, eight at a time, uh, which would not let Roland uh, progress any further. However, Roland, uh, again, almost within his DNA, within his very being, is being called by the Dark Tower. So he is, uh, at first, he is basically powerless to resist this call. He knows eventually that he will have no choice but to come from uh, hiding behind this hill and head towards the Dark Tower, even though it will mean the Crimson King will let loose and destroy him. So, what does he do? (laughs) Well, beside him, he knows he has a young man who can draw incredibly realistically and then uh, erase what he has drawn. Aha! Thought. Now, uh, Patrick Danville, who, when drawing normally, has no trouble with capturing the essence of what he is drawing. However, when it comes to the Crimson King, as you can imagine, this uh, individual is no normal person, no normal drawing. So uh, he has a little more difficulty. Uh, In particular, it's the eyes. Ah, the eyes. The eyes have it. Uh, He only has a pencil this whole time that he's been drawing with. However, the Crimson King's eyes are red. So how does he draw them? He needs needs red. He needs the color red. What is surrounding the Dark Tower but roses? Aha! So he gets uh, one of the rose petals, and um, more accurately, I guess, Roland grabs one of these petals and chops the hell out of his hand. His hand that he had already lost a couple of fingers on has now missing yet more fingers. Uh, cool little just tidbit about that is, so Roland grabs this rose that eats up his hand and uh, has his fingers sort of popping off, and then passes it to Patrick, who just sort of grabs it. No problem. That doesn't hurt him at all. So I like that little, little detail there. It's, it's all about the details, is it not? So um, Patrick puts one of these petals in his mouth and starts chewing on it to, just to sort of get a, a rudimentary paint, I guess you would say. He spits it out, and it's just not quite right. So what does he use to get the perfect color for the Crimson King's red eyes within his drawing? Well, he uses Roland's blood from the, the stumps of the remaining fingers of his right hand to make that sort of perfect color. He colors in the eyes and then begins erasing the Crimson King from existence. 
yay that. It was kind of uh, a little, uh, I don't know if it was anticlimactic as far as a end battle, but when this sort of uber boss of seven books is uh, just erased with a pencil, on the one hand, it's a little anticlimactic. On the other, it's like, wow, the, the power of um, the pencil, because the pencil is mightier than the sword. Yeah. Uh, at last, Roland is able to come from hiding and move towards the Dark Tower. He leaves Patrick behind. Patrick, at this point, uh, is basically never seen again. We don't know what happens to him, but that's okay, because from now on, it's all about Roland. He starts off his, his walk, his eventual run towards the Dark Tower, by yelling the names of all those uh, who he has left behind, as he promised he would do. So that, uh, that was very fitting. Uh, inside the tower, the tower, he starts heading upwards. At every level, there is uh, sort of things from his past, memories from his past. So he'll reach sort of uh, the first level in which, uh, I don't have the exact details here, the first level in which will be a memory of his mother reading to him as a child while he was holding a teddy bear. So. Uh, every 19 steps, of course, every 19 steps, because everything is 19, he'll reach a landing in which, uh, say, there will be his teddy bear in the book his mother read to him as a child. And then as he continues on, so does the things he finds uh, as far as further and further in his life. So he'll reach parts that happened um, during the time he was with uh, Shimi and his uh, first love, etc., etc. He keeps heading upwards and upwards. The the Dark Tower turns out to be like the TARDIS. Uh -huh. It is bigger on the inside, so he has traveled upwards and upwards. He has um, reached a point where, if he was looking from the outside, uh, he should have reached the top by now. However, he continues to climb and climb and climb. Finally, he reaches the top. His, his, his sort of very existence has been trembling on this moment of him reaching the final platform, the final door at the top of the Dark Tower. He has no idea, neither has anyone else along the way known what is in the top. He reaches the door, and on it, it says Roland, which is his name. <laughs> so that makes sense. He opens the door, and what is inside it? Oh my god. I'm just so excited. I don't know I don't know if I should just say it. This is this is the biggest spoiler I've ever done. He opens it and is immediately pulled through. Pulled through pulled through to as he is taking a footstep into a desert uh where he is uh following a man in black. Now, if you listen to my first podcast called uh, The Gunslinger about the first novel in this movie, you will know that it started with his footstep into a desert chasing, following a man in black. Let me let that sink in for a second. What has happened? What has happened here is that he has opened a door onto the very first book and the starting of said book. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. You getting it? So he has done this series of events over and over and over again. Every time he reaches the top of the Dark Tower, opens the door, it transports him back to the beginning of the first novel with no memories of what had happened before. My friggin' God. Mine was blown. How... <laughs> how I got to the end of this book, um, having read this series before and not actually remembering what was at the top of the Dark Tower, I have no idea. I will never forget now. I can't imagine I will. And and that kind of has something to do with the fact of me doing these podcasts and talking about what I have read. I think, obviously, uh, from just a kind of psychological standpoint, it sort of ingrains it into my brain even more than it would otherwise. Folks, that was the Dark Tower series. I hope you enjoyed these podcasts as much as I enjoyed um, saying them to you. And perhaps I have convinced you to read these books. I hope I have, because uh, I really, really think that they are worth a read. Well, folks, it's been a joy. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it is nice to be nice to the nice. Hello! Welcome to the LibroCube. Today is Book Bow Wednesday, in which we will be discussing Book 1 of the Dark Tower series, called The Gunslinger by Mr. Stephen King. Let's jump right in. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Libro Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Nah, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Come the day you're mine Live long and prosper